0: Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Gondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues.
1: This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkonda Reya. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome
0: to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, where the Shapers of Business join the Shapers of Jazz Soul and Blues. My guest today I'm really pleased to say is Nick DeYong, founder and owner of the NDL Group. They create and deliver global promotion and rewards programs for some of the biggest companies in the world. Age 17, Nick briefly set up his own airline business, De Jong Airways, 1991 to 93, apparently. And how many 17-year-olds can say they've done that, or almost done that in his case? However, though aiming to run 1930s nostalgia flights from London to Nice, he was forced to close before he even began operating when his financial backer withdrew. And you're going to find out what impact that's had on him and his life. The idea for NDL came about when Nick was working in travel in the early 90s. Major radio stations were successfully running weekly promotions, but struggling to manage all the travel aspects for the winners. Nick says, I spotted a gap in the market for an agency specialising in winner experiences. We're in the business of making people happy, he says, and he's certainly done that numerous times. And he's right here. Hello, how good are morning. you? very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Tell me what NDL does in your own words. I've tried to describe it earlier. I always do a terrible job, and then I always say to people, so really, in the real world, what is it? What does it look like?
2: NDL works with brands, media owners, and agencies, and we put together the... I suppose the best way to describe it is the things that they don't really have the capacity in-house to deal with. So it's all the back-office functions that make promotional marketing campaigns work. So if you want to award a consumer with an amazing, engaging competition prize, we put that together and our team make sure that the end customer has a brilliant experience. And what's interesting about a business like
0: yours is, Nick, it's been going for 20 years – It powers many, many blue chip brands globally. And of course, you work closely with lots of big agencies. And it's, again, one of those things people haven't heard about. And they just assume that when they win a competition, magic happens. It happens because you make it happen, Nick.
2: You're the magic man. Well, we we play a part in it. I mean, of course, the uh, we, we we have the luxury of working with some absolutely wonderful clients and people that that we really enjoy working with, and we work with a lot of very creative agencies that put together brilliant ideas. Our our purpose in life, I suppose, is to make sure that those ideas happen, that they're delivered, and that their customer gets a brilliant experience. We we kind of keep them safe. Um, but we have enough creativity, enough concept of creativity to be able to understand what our client's idea is that they're trying to, to get across mm. and our purpose is to help them make that happen.
0: Now, in 1997, when you set this up, could you have envisaged that it would have become the business it is now? Is this true still? To where you thought it would go, or, or inevitably
2: has life fashioned it, and business fashioned it in all sorts of different ways. Well, I'd say life and business has has fashioned it in mm-hmm. a number of different ways. I mean, obviously, you touched on uh, in the introduction my uh, my period of time before I was eighteen, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about a little bit. But at, at the at that time, I have to say I um, I'd, I'd been told by. Uh, various members of the family that maybe it's time you should go and get a proper job and put aside you know the idea of uh, of entrepreneurship but at which point I uh, actually started to do a part-time law degree and uh, I was studying from 5 till 9 at night at Birkbeck college to put that together and ndl really came about because I was trying to get through that period of college I was going to go and do my articles and become solicitor, at which point I decided that, in fact, what we were doing with NDL started to pick up. Mm. People wanted to work with us. I looked at the amount of studying I was having to do to become a lawyer and decided that it wasn't actually for me. So I focused on it and we grew it organically. You know, we, we started off with one or two clients and that morphed into into more and more business. It actually it came out of my bedroom uh, I was 22 at the time, and then I had my first employee who was sitting at the desk next to me. By the time employee number three came about, that was the time to go out and get an office and try and take this seriously. And we just, we've just we grown the business organically over that period of time, and really it's been through delivery, consistent delivery, and trying to do the best work we can for clients in order to, to get more from
0: it. Sounds like a very common sense approach to building a business. We're going to talk lots more about that. And you mentioned your um, forays into the airline business—the brief moment where you almost took off, and it didn't quite happen. But I think you've learned a lot from that. and We're going to come on to that in a bit. Time for some more music. Right now, they're here on Jazz Shapers. It's George Benson and Andrew two of my favourites, and they're together with "God Bless the Child." <laughs>
1: Them that shall give. Them that's not shall
0: lose. That was George Benson and Al Jure with God Bless the Child. My business shaper today is Nick DeYong, and we've been talking about the business that he's created and the big companies that he's been supporting. You said you grew it organically, Nick, and, and I said that's a common sense approach. Where does that common sense come from? You seem like a very precise kind of person who's not going to get panicky he's not going to jump mm-hmm. up and down and that's enabled you to grow at a pace which makes sense to you how, how's that where's that come from do you think i think a lot of
2: what i've tried to do today has been shaped from how how it all began you know when i when i was at school even you know going back um to to the very early days i knew that i didn't want to follow the standard path and you know when you talked about the airline That was a case of waking up one morning Mm. and I've always loved planes. I've always been very excited. I mean, I'm a pilot now as a hobby. It's one of the things I love to do. And I think that came from the very beginning. Um, And I woke up one morning and decided I was going to start an airline. Of course, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. (laughs) Didn't have the money. um, And I set about trying to work out how, how this would be done. So I managed to get four slots from Heathrow. Don't ask me how, but in 1990, you could do that. And I found an airline that agreed to paint a plane in my livery and would operate it on a per-flight rotation basis. What so, was your livery? I'd love to know. Well, it was De Jong Airways, and I, we, we had, a I think there's a picture of a, a, of a flying horse on the, uh, the tail fin. Bear in mind, it was 1990. What we could find was a 21-seater Gulfstream G1 Plane, which had been built in the 60s that kind of fitted with the business plan that I put together I was trying to work out how could you start this thing on cash flow so I built a business plan around it Um, and we decided on Heathrow to Nice because I'd got the slots and at the time only BA and Air France were operating that route so I'm seeing you know there's a gap this is my this is my way in But having such an old plane that was going to take one hour longer to get to Nice than the competition meant I needed to find a point of difference, which is what created this idea of a nostalgic service, flying like it used to be. So we're trying to create the whole experience around it. And that, I think, for me, was shaping... Maybe what I wanted to do where my passion was. It wasn't necessarily about running an airline. It was about creating experiences that other people are going to enjoy. Just on the thing you mm. said before, um, you, you mentioned that you, you knew you didn't want to do the standard thing.
0: Why did you know? How did you know? At what point did you know that you weren't just going to go and do what other
2: people do and have a career as such? I had a pretty rough childhood. Not because you know it was anything to do with parents, anything to do with lack of parents. My father had died when he was 10 when I was 10 months old he was only 30 um, and left my mother having to look after probably quite a difficult child actually and then That's I was you is it? are you the difficult child um, yeah unfortunately it was me <laughs> um, so I ended up at boarding school when I was seven and you know and I and my mother'd made a lot of effort to keep my father alive in me and I was born into what you'd probably call the, the 1970s glam rock era. He was in the pop videos business. My mother had taken it over as a child. Um, we literally had bands turning up at, at our flat in um, in George Street. And, and I, I got this impression of something, I suppose, that was early on about maybe my father, because my father was in pop promotions.
0: This is David De Jong, yes. producer of the 1970s ITV music show Supersonic.
2: Supersonic, yes, indeed. And, uh, and I actually have a vague childhood memory of being in the studio of Supersonic, being carried around. I must have been three or four, but you do get those mm. those early memories. And there is a story of me going into the control room and playing with the buttons, which managed to set the stage smoke off Thus interrupting the ITN news going <laughs> off in the in the studio next door uh, um, making trouble at the age I, of three Nick.
0: well yeah it, but, so this childhood this this basically was there a sense that it was a different kind of upbringing to the the, the it, friends it, that you had at the time it was a
2: def- definitely a different kind of upbringing yeah. um, the lack of my father, I think in my head made me feel like I, in a way, I want to take over where he left off. He wanted to go and create this big promotions business, I suppose. And in his case, it was in TV and production. I never felt that I could necessarily do that part of the business, so I decided I would take a different path. But I don't know whether it was a conscious decision at the time, probably couldn't be, I was a child. you know, And I used to be at boarding school and I'd see planes flying overhead and, and my mother was very busy working till quite late in the night, trying to keep this business going. So holidays and things like that weren't things that happened. So they were very much a dream in my mm. head. And I think that probably created a bit of an early, early desire for me to do something like that. But I always was the centre of attention at school. I was always the one that would be sent out of class. You know, I had to try and find a different way of doing things. We're going to come back to all okay. of this stuff. It's a, a very um, honest um,
0: appraisal of your childhood and that and that makes a lot of sense and um has informed indeed as you said your your way of going about business and doing things i'm going to have lots more from my business shaper coming up that's nick de jong Um, but first we're going to hear from one of our partners at mishkondorea with some words
3: of advice for your business hello i'm joe hancock head of cyber for mishkondorea Cybercrime is a major issue in the UK at the moment. You're more likely to be a victim of cybercrime than you are to be a physical crime. It's an issue that affects all of us, both in our personal lives and our professional lives. We see more and more about it in news headlines every day. So how do these cyberattacks happen? Are these actually done by some person wearing a hoodie sat behind a computer somewhere? Does a green skull and crossbones appear flashing on the screen when someone carries out a successful cyberattack? Do you hear the sound of money disappearing from your bank account? Unfortunately, none of these things happen. A successful cyberattack really shows no signs. So what do you do if you think you've been a victim of a cyber attack at home? There's some really good advice actually from Action Fraud, which is to take five and tell two. Take five minutes to think about what's happened. Is this something that's too good to be true? Most cyber attacks delivered towards people rely on pressure. They want you to do something quickly. They really don't want you to think. So just think... Is this actually your bank calling you to say that someone's deposited a large amount of money in your account that you can access? Is this really Microsoft ringing you to say there's a problem with your computer and they need to access it remotely? These things sound unbelievable now, but with some high-pressure techniques behind them, and are unfortunately very successful. So what do you need to do in these circumstances? As I've said, first of all, think. If you're not sure, take some time. Take some time to tell someone and get external advice. This applies as much in our business lives as it does in our personal lives. If you receive an email at work with a suspect attachment, something like an invoice or a random PDF document that you don't recognise, again, speak to a colleague and take some time to think about it. So, we work with clients every day to deal with these issues, to help them protect themselves and identify when these problems have happened. If in doubt, it's always best to seek the advice of an expert or external party.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal.
0: There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme with Nick again. You can ask Alexa. Alexa's very obliging. Just say, play Jazz Shapers, Alexa, and there you can hear many of the recent programmes. Or if you pop Jazz Shapers into your preferred podcast platform, you can enjoy the full archive. But back to today and back to Nick. He's the founder and owner of the NDL Group. They create and deliver global promotion and rewards programmes. And as you just were hopefully listening, you would have heard Nick talk about creating experiences for people so so this rather unusual childhood this kind of sense of being a bit naughty and and of not really um towing the line as it were doing your own thing it led you to try and set up the airline when it didn't work cuz 17 years old if we all go back to when we were 17 you know we thought we knew everything mm-hmm. and we knew pretty much close to nothing but we kind of had you know brains and a bit of and the sense of anything's possible cuz you don't know what what might get in the way When it didn't work, Nick, what did you do to move forward from that? Because that must have been, even though you were a young guy and stuff, that must have been pretty upsetting.
2: It was devastating for me Mm. because, I mean, at the time, I'd had an enormous amount of publicity... You know, you can imagine the reaction at my age. And then suddenly you've got headlines, world's youngest teenage airline boss, you know, double page spread in the Daily Mail. And I'm sitting here and I'm being flown to Germany to appear on daytime TV. I'm on Radio Tokyo FM at two o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, and, and one morning, half past eight, the phone rings and it's Richard Branson on the line and we had a chat he's talking to me saying I've been seen what you're doing I just wanted to let you know you're completely crazy and, and actually if you want to be a millionaire in the airline business you better start out as a billionaire it's really not easy to do but actually he was very very kind and introduced me to his CEO at the time who became for a while a bit of a mentor around this and I'd I kind of almost had in my mind I almost created a belief system that I'm now running this airline but the reality is that we hadn't actually taken off yet mm. hadn't raised the money um, eventually we found a backer that was going to put the money in the first gulf war broke out and of course that offer of backing went with it and I realized that this wasn't going to happen you know and of course, in the early 90s, but it's pre-deregulation, it was a really difficult time mm-hmm. to do it. And I, I'm thinking to myself, no, I actually now need to, to to do something different, continue with the passion that I have. But yeah. maybe isn't quite as much of a big thing to bite off straight away. So so you learned that. But the other thing I
0: know that you, you love, you, you talked about loving flying, and I know you're a pilot, and it says here on Twitter that you're a food lover too. I am. Um, he looks very well on it considering <laughs> he's a food lover. Must be, you must uh, eat in moderation. If It's good. Um, but the other thing you did before setting up this business was you had a little foray into radio. Um, what was the name of your, you had a little programme, didn't you, oh, on yes. Spectrum Radio, what was it called?
2: <laughs> uh, All Night Long with Nick De Jong. That has a um, ring to it, doesn't it? Um, yes, I, it, it was the time that I learnt that uh, radio, being a radio presenter probably wasn't going to be my career path. Uh, I, I was very young. It was part of a sort of two-week work experience thing to try and see whether or not radio was going to be my thing and um, yeah I didn't.
0: But this is what it says to me is you tried the airline thing you're looking at radio you've been and I think this is it sounds like it's one of your key strengths you're very open to stuff yeah. and then now it looks like you've become very organized and you disciplined that into these businesses. How do you combine the creativity and the openness with the structure and the precision that you inevitably have needed to build this
2: business? I think what's important you know you've got some people are very right brain orientated some people are very left brain orientated I, I crave order in my life but then the flip side of that is complete disorder so when you're somebody's quite passionate and you, you want to try new things you need to have a little bit of that craziness to to try stuff but I realized early on that you know, if we were going to be successful in the business that 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 we're in you know we we are we're responsible for our clients reputation so we have to be absolutely organized and part of learning to be a pilot is about organization risk assessment keeping yourself safe which comes which comes first so for me there's a there's there's three really really key things if you're going to be successful in business i mean one of them is integrity that comes before anything else Um, and well really integrity trust and reputation they are all those three things that actually are, are rolled into one so it doesn't matter what you do providing that you do it on the basis that you're making a difference to somebody else and you're contributing something to the world that yes people will be willing to pay for but you you have to do that with a sense of responsibility in in how it's not even about how you're perceived it has to come from the heart it has to be part of your makeup that I do this because you assume you're trusted from day one and then you have to earn keeping Mm -hmm. that and and you can only do that with a sense of order.
0: In terms of the there are a couple of parts of your business Um, one is now looking like it's going to be much more based in technology uh, than the other although the other I know has a big back end as well to make sure the machine works how are you when it comes to being the leader in the office what do people say about nick um beyond the bright guy who's you know gone and done stuff what do they say he's like number one characteristic of nick de jong is it that i believe what he says is he tough you don't look Hmm. like a horrible tough
2: guy no i mean i've i've uh, when i started the business i wanted to create an environment that i wanted to go and work in myself so one of the big no-nos for me in a business is if you create an environment where your team are getting butterflies on a Sunday night and dreading going into work, you've got something very, very wrong. So this whole notion of, oh, if you're having fun, you're not working hard enough is really not the way that, that I like things to work. And this whole thing about wanting to keep people happy, yes, we expect delivery, we expect Results and hard work, but at the same time, I want to find passionate people that come to work because they want to and they love to do that. So I'm not a big micromanager. One of the things I learned, and you, you learn this over time, is you are not the expert at everything and you cannot possibly be that person. So, you know, if you can find people that are much better than you at doing the things that need to be done. And not your skill. I think that's really important. I think also as a leader, it's important to actually to show weakness. You don't need to always be the one with all the answers, the one that's perfect. Because people won't believe it anyway. Um, so you might as well be yourself and true to yourself. And and you find people, and I've been blessed with having some really great people that have joined us over the years and, and helped take things forward.
0: And in terms of dealing with the stresses of a business, and you've got a pretty significantly big business on the one side, a burgeoning one on the other one, how do you manage the different phases that those businesses are in at the same time? Because one's a more mature business than the other. Tell me, and tell me a little bit about the other business just briefly. But, but in, in terms of that stress point, how do you personally cope?
2: Or do you not feel stressed? Some people Uh-oh. say
0: to me, oh, I don't get stressed. I just I just love what I do.
2: Well, if they tell you that, they're lying, probably. I reckon they are too. So you know, for the record, yeah, for the record. Most most entrepreneurs, certainly the people I know, and if I look at my own experience, anybody that turns around to you and says, "Well, it's a walk in the park," you know, oh, "Well, you're just doing this wrong. You have to do it this way, and then everything's fine," you know, stiff up a lip. It's absolute rubbish. You get woken up in the middle of the night with thoughts and worries and concerns you know and it's a very very difficult challenging thing so you know on the one hand you might say well look if you go out and get a job that's going to be easier because you don't have the responsibility well it's not either because if you have passionate people they care about their own career they care about they've got their own issues and when you're running a business you're responsible for people's livelihoods and it's a really It's a really big challenge. And I suppose that the things that keep me up at night are worrying about are we doing things properly, worrying about what's the next stage, where are we going, you know, and and actually holding on to that's very difficult. And yes, you get very stressed as a result Mm. and you have to try and find alternative ways of dealing with it. I totally disagree with the idea that people say oh you know go to a spa for a week you'll be fine because actually when you're the type of person that finds it really hard to switch off you might switch off for a week but then you're going to come back straight in to the same level of stress so you have to treat the cause of the problem most people who are stressed it's because potentially you haven't You haven't solved the cause of the stress. Maybe you don't have enough of the right people around you to share some of the issues. Maybe you're taking on too much. But it's not always about work hard all the time. It's actually about working smarter and doing the things that you're good at doing and then sharing the load. With others. We're going to have our final chat. I'm also going to pick up on the question I had about your new
0: business and a couple of other things that you've been mentioning. Uh, that's all come out with Nick DeYong, and we'll be playing a track from the one and only Miles Davis. That's all up in just a moment.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondareya. It's business, but it's personal.
0: Sound of Miles Davis with Ahmad's Blues. My final chat right now is with Nick De Jong. He's been my business shaper for almost an hour. We've been talking about all sorts of things, and if you've been listening in. You'll have heard some really good advice about the proper ways to behave. Um, I think, if, as you've been talking about Nick, the responsibility you have to your people. Just give me the snapshot of the new element
2: of the of the business. We've talked about the promotions part. What's 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 part two then? So the other part of the business is technology. So if NDLs come from a place of understanding how to make. Let's say an individual competition winner really happy. What the technology business does is it enables our clients to be able to run the whole scope of that campaign in the background, and it does one thing very well. We're called um, Promotigo Technology, and uh, what PromoTego does is it is provide a back end for global brands to be able to deliver campaigns in any environment anywhere in the world, whether it's a sampling campaign so that the customer can go to the client's website and order a free sample, if it's the delivery of a competition, a prize draw, um, a cashback program across multiple markets. Again, we're very much focused on providing the back-end technical operation behind it. That means that digital agencies that have creativity can build really exciting, engaging promotions at the front. Mm. And what we provide is a secure back end to enable them to deliver it. Very different
0: set of skills to deliver that. So I'm assuming you've had to assemble a whole different group of people. And and if, if so, how is it managing, you know, I imagine these are developers... Um, essentially, kind of technology developers, software developers, and so on. What's that been like? You enjoyed that? Was I mean, um, that fun for you personally?
2: Uh, well, I I love it. And actually, the the key there again is that you make a decision very early on. So at that point, it came out of um, of backing a smaller business, which is based outside of London. I have a partner in there, Steve, who's fantastic, and he is the CTO. So, you know, you you need to have somebody with the correct technical skills to be able to make something like that happen. Mm. And you're right. Developers are a very different type of person to manage. Ultimately, they are people. They want to come in and do a great job and do the best work that they can. But again, they need to be managed in more of a technical way. Mm. So in a, for to to succeed in a business like that, it's absolutely about the team you assemble, the people that you bring in. So my my function there is very much about growing it, developing it, promoting it and um, and taking the strategy to the next level in terms of the, the day-to-day delivery and management for business like that. You know, we have a completely specialised team that absolutely know what they're doing.
0: What strikes me, Nick, and we're going to move on to your song choice shortly, but just one last thing. You've talked a little bit around the edges about the fact that you love what you do and you've loved lots of things in a way and mm. then you found that actually in the last 20 has been pretty consistent and now you're looking at new ways of iterating and uh, that business with technology and shaping the future of what uh, delivery of global promotions that passion that sits inside of everything is that what you look for in people that you hire and is that the kind of thing you talk about when people come to you for advice about their own business ideas
2: yes I mean I think you you need three things So the first thing you need is passion. The next thing you need is a skill. So you need to be able to have the skills to deliver on your passion. And then you need to find a way of getting somebody to value that. I think if you can connect those three things together, then that's quite a good recipe for happiness, whether it's a recipe for, you know, it could also be a big recipe for success. You know, you could be passionate about playing tennis, not very good at it, but you can still enjoy playing tennis but if you've got a major passion for tennis and you're extremely good at it then you might have the potential to make a career out of it as well so the three aren't mutually exclusive if you lose the one element it becomes a hobby if you've got all three of them it could become a career or a business and you've got all three haven't you i mean in the sense well, of i don't mean, I mean in terms of your happiness and the fact you can make a living yeah i mean i've, I've found something i'm passionate about i believe i've got most of the skills and the skills that I don't have, the gaps, I bring people around me to, to fill those in. And so far, we've been fortunate enough to have some great clients that, that see that and want to work with us. And, uh, and, and from that point of view, it's been very good. Well, look, the technology
0: business obviously sounds like you can take this to a whole other level and really good luck with that. It sounds like that's uh, imminently going to be successful. And once it, it becomes uh, uh, more visible, we can talk about that again, get you back in a few years when you've sold it for a few hundred million pounds. That'd be the plan. Just before I let you go today, though, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it?
2: I've chosen Let's Go Round Again by The Average White Band. It's one of those tracks that I used to crank up at full volume on my old quad 33 when I was about 15 (laughs) and uh, needed some chill out time. So um, hope you enjoy it.
0: That was Let's Go Round Again by The Average White Band, the song choice of my business shaper today, Nick DeYong. He talked about his passion for creating experiences for other people to enjoy. He talked about craving order and also that crazy disorder that comes with trying new things. And he talked about integrity and having a deep sense of responsibility for his work and for the people he works with. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.